How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 293 of x where, well, about a day of uh, relatively clean eating has done your humble host a whole lot of good. Uh, the heartburn and uh, reflux has, uh, has really uh, gone away, for the most part. Uh, if I lay down, it, it comes back for a bit, but uh, other than that, doing okay. So let's get into today's uh, milestone <laughs> milestone issue. Uh, this is X-Force, Volume 6, Number 25, January 2022, cover date. The story is called The Edge, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Robert Gill. Colors, Guru EFX, letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna, designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edit tomorrow, Basso, White, Sobolski, cover price four bucks. This one went on sale November the 17th of 2021. Now, if you haven't read this issue and you're not planning on following along here, uh, this bit might be lost on you, but uh, the cover of this issue kind of spoils the big twist we're going to be getting to. And also, if you're not following along, you're likely not going to believe how silly this issue is going to get. Um, now, for the cover, I won't go into it too deep here because, you know, the, the twist will happen in the issue, but it almost makes me think that this cover was intended for next issue. Oh, well, no worries. There. We'll just move on. Now, we open our issue with Wolverine and Chucklehead Forge in the arsenal. Now, if you all remember, like, uh, 20-something issues ago, uh, Wolverine noticed that Forge had, like, a big old tank of liquid adamantium, right? And he asked Forge if he could make him something, or he went to ask Forge if he could make him something, but uh, got kind of cut off. Uh, back then, I automatically assumed that he wanted Forge to make him a sword, because... I mean, when we started the show, uh, like, everything X in the news was sword-based, so I figured that it, uh, you know, it stood to reason that Wolverine would want an adamantium blade. Well, it's here where we find out exactly what Logan wanted, and, um, well, it wasn't a sword. What it was, was an adamantium-coated surfboard. Now, if you're not reading along, you probably think I'm joking. But I assure you that I'm not. Um, and you would think that because, well, a few reasons. First of all, this is stupid. Second of all, does adamantium float? And if it does float, then how are we going to explain Logan's near-drowning incident like eight pages from now? And uh, third, Wolverine, you know, he, he admires this board. He's holding it. And when he barely touches the edge of it, he nearly severs a finger. So this is a very, very dangerous thing that he's going to be riding through, you know, tumultuous waves here. And, well, not to give it away, but later on, he's going to be surfing on this slippery, sharp bullet of a board in very, very close proximity to other people, which, I don't know, that just seems, um, pointlessly dangerous. 
In any event, uh, we follow Wolverine from the arsenal to Krakoa's dead mutant cove. Um, And just when he's about to shoot the curl or whatever, uh, we cut away to our double-page spread of roll call and cred. It's a very short list today. Uh, We're going to be looking at Wolverine, Forge, Kid Omega, and Phoebe Cuckoo. Now, we get back to comics, and we're with the five-in-one, who are laying in a flowery field head-to-head-to-head-to-head-to-head. Or maybe it's hair-to-hair-to-hair-to-hair-to-hair. Anyway, they're staring into the sun, and uh, this is interrupted by some hot pink skywriting. Now, this skywriting reads, Phoebe plus Quentin, and it's inside a heart, so... Aw. Now, this seems to make Phoebe's visibly uncomfortable. Quentin approaches to take her along for their day out, something that Phoebe claims to have forgotten all about. QQ asks if everything's okay, to which Phoebe says, you know, she's just got some sister stuff going on, and we'll find out more about that as we go. Uh, Quentin attempts to pop into her head to help take care of whatever this issue is, but she asks him not to. She says, I would like for some things to just belong to me. She then tells him that she always has fun with him, which feels a little bit weird, and we will be talking about this as we continue. Now, where might these two be headed for their big day out? Well, they're going to the Bower, which is to say Stacy X's brothel and baby house, which we so- first saw back in Way of X number three. Back to Wolverine, who gets a two-page spread of him surfing. <laughs> um, you see, it would seem as though Logan is chasing some sort of high that comes with, like, near-death experiences. I guess, like, autoerotic asphyxiation may not work on a dude like him. So, uh, yeah, he uh, surfs right into a giant wave, which he pops his claws at for some reason, like he's gonna fight the thing. Next, we know he's, like, literally smashed by this wave and rendered horribly bloody. Again, by the wave. He begins to drown until a blonde woman fishes him out of the drink. And you might be thinking, wow, this sounds really dumb. And, uh, well, you'd be right. Let's get back to the bower. Now, we learn what Quentin is doing here, why he is, you know, strolling the baby section. You see, now, one of these babies managed to manifest their nebulous mutant power at birth. And, well, it's quite a dangerous power indeed. Now, we got a baby named Max, or Maximilian, if we're nasty, and uh, he nearly did something that would have killed everybody in a hundred-yard radius. What did he almost do? <laughs> well, you got me. Uh, something having to do with telekinesis is all we know. So yeah, Quentin has been tasked with coming through here once a week in order to perform a mental scan on all the tots to ensure such a thing doesn't almost happen again. Now, Phoebe thinks that this is sweet, and also kind of funny. Quentin laughs this off, telling her not to confuse the current Quentin with the old Quentin. And they talk a bit here about fragility, which, um, it kind of feels forced, but at the same time it, it works really well here, because I think this is supposed to be a very uncomfortable conversation. So, Phoebe, it, it seems like she's trying to begin their separation in a gentle sort of way. You know, she reassures Quentin that he's become... A better person. He's become he's becoming a great man, and how he probably doesn't need her so much. Uh, you know, he doesn't need to lean on her quite so much as a crutch anymore, which he doesn't really think much about. He just says, "Hey, maybe I like leaning on you. Maybe you know I like what you do to me." And the feeling we're, or at least I'm getting here, is that uh, Phoebe kind of took Quentin on as a project. Uh, with the added bonus of, you know, this relationship getting under Emma Frost's skin in the process didn't hurt anything. And now, well, 
the way she sees it, this project has reached completion. And we're going to be reassured of this in the upcoming info page, where the cuckoos have written a note to Phoebe telling her, well, basically what I just said, that this fling with Quentin was part of a project and also part rebellion. And now it's done. So, you know, just tear off the Band-Aid already. Let's get back to the beach, where Wolverine comes to. Now, he's been rescued by a blonde woman named Pike. And I tell you, I'm not sure if I'm disappointed or not, but I really thought that this was Lifeguard from the Extreme Team. We haven't seen her in ages, right? Anyway, we can see that she jammed his adamantium surfboard into the sand, so we've got to assume that she no longer has, uh, you know, ten fingers. She calls Logan a bit of a Barney. Now, what the F is that? Is that, like, surfer speak? Uh, were they, like, selling the Bill and Ted Dictionary at Ben Percy's local supermarket this week? I, I don't know. A bit of a Barney. Let's do a little bit of research here, because I don't think I'd be doing my job if, uh, if we didn't. Now, what is a Barney? Uh, well, I went to the, the finest uh, surf sites on the internet to find out what this is here. And uh, we have uh, uh, three possibilities as to where the term Barney came from. Now, the first one is uh, probably the most logical one here. Um, it's a reference to someone being from a farm, like living in a barn, being from a barnyard, so a Barney. Um, also, there's the possibility that it's a reference to uh, Barney Fife or Barney Rubble. So, um, I suppose we can just go with the first one, because I think that one sounds, uh, well, the uh, least stupid, right? Anyway, um, she invites him to surf with her crew, and so Logan does just that. And remember, he's riding, like, one of the most dangerous weapons ever created in very close proximity to these other goofballs. And, uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be anywhere near Wolverine and his death board here. Anyway, we jump ahead to later that evening where Wolverine and Pike are sat around a fire on the beach. Now, she's made a sand model of Krakoa, so uh, maybe sand structures are her mutant power? Well, nah, probably not because she's not even a... a, we'll get there. Now, she makes this model in order to rattle off a few places around the island where she and her slacker pals want to surf some more. And she points to a certain bit of topography and identifies it as the peak. Well, she's actually not correct here. Logan does correct her, because, you know, the peak isn't there, it's actually over here. Huh. Well, gotta wonder if that's headed somewhere. Uh, no time to worry about that right now, though, because it's it's time for Wolverine and Pike to bang. Uh, let's hop over to Quentin's bedroom, where he is fast asleep. Now, he's astrally invited out of body by Phoebe, who says, well, that line. You all know the one, right? It's that uh, we-need-to-talk line, which nothing good ever follows that, right? Anyway, she tells QQ that when they were at the Bower, she took a secret peek into his mind and uh, wasn't exactly jazzed by what she saw. Now, what she saw was Quentin imagining the two of them with a baby of their own. She says that it scared her. Now, Quentin asks why she should be scared to find out how much he cares about her, to which... Oh, Quentin... Dude, you gotta stop. Uh, she tells him that this is all too much for her right now, and that, uh, well, she needs a break. So, this is the mutant equivalent of breaking up via text, or, you know, just changing your Facebook status from in a relationship to it's complicated or single, I guess. And Quentin even says just as much. But, what's done is done. We close out this scene by seeing Quentin crying in his sleep. 
Next up, it's an info page, and it's a page out of Sage's logbook, where we learn from Black Tom that the veg that they use for surveillance around the island has been kinda kicked around and mucked up in all the hot surfing spots. Ruh-roh. Well, they don't consider this to be a high risk necessarily, but uh, I guess it's certainly worth noting, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Now we wrap up the issue at the Bower, where Pike and her pals are scooping up babies and carrying them off Death Stranding style, like putting them in like a canister of some sort. Then they hop back into the drink, submerge, and escape. Black Tom reports into Sage that, uh, well, there's a baby heist afoot. And it's worth noting here that we can see that Pike has gills on her neck. So, could they be Atlantean? Hmm, our friend Rob Leefield uh, introduced that surf terrorist group in uh, that one New Mutants annual and then brought them back in Major Axe, right? Maybe that's who uh, Pike and her pals uh, belong to. Maybe they're post-human. Maybe these gills are artificial or uh, some weird evolutionary thing. Or, worst yet, I mean, this is a Ben Percy book, maybe they are Russian. Ooh, ooh, I know. Maybe they're Atlantean Russian vampire post-humans. I think, I think that's gotta be it. Anyway, that's where we leave our milestone. 25th issue of X-Force, which, again, I don't think the cover copy was accurate. I don't think the cover itself was right, but, uh... I mean, when we start talking about covers, it's, uh... It's kind of a fool's errand, isn't it? Uh, anyway, next episode, we got, uh, Wolverine, and... Well, uh, if I'm being completely honest, I can't remember what the last issue of Wolverine was all about anyway, so, uh... I guess we'll all be in for a big surprise. So let's talk about this issue, which is kind of a, a tale of two stories, right? And um, those two stories were very, very different in tone and also quality. Uh, let's talk about uh, the highlight, at least for me, and that was the uh, Phoebe and Quentin relationship. Now, the five and one have been depicted, you know, forever as being... What did they say in this issue? I think they said sisters before misters, which is very, very silly. But um, it's accurate that, uh, you know, their first, I guess, uh, loyalties are to each other. And, uh, you know, the five and one are the five and one. And we've seen this with uh, with Kid Cable, and now we're seeing it with, uh, with Quentin Choir, where the relationship between Phoebe and Quentin has been... One of, the, one of the high points, I feel, in this X-Force run, I don't know if we've talked about it all that much, but it's been, it's been one of the least forced-feeling things, which is odd when we find out that it actually, you know, behind the scenes, not meta behind the scenes, but story-wise behind the scenes, it was something that was kind of forced. You know, Phoebe taking Quentin on as some sort of a project while also attempting to rebel from not only her sisters, but from, you know, Emma. You know, trying to kind of needle a little bit. It's been done very well. It's been done quite subtly, and uh, I wonder what sort of backlash is going to come from this. I wonder if we're going to get a return of the old, uh, you know, more unhinged, more bratty Quentin. Is he going to overcorrect? Is he going to maybe even go further to, uh, you know, the extreme uh, of what he was? Uh, it's pretty interesting, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Uh, I really appreciated the way this all played out. It was um, really, really well done here. We're seeing Quentin as lowering his defenses, which isn't something we get to see terribly often. I mean, even in some of the stories that have tried to soften him, he's always been guarded. And not always, like, offensively guarded, like, to the point where he's trying to 
annoy or irritate people. But it's been a very, you know, self-defense sort of thing. If you followed along with the Generation X Lapsed uh, miniseries that we did on the channel, we saw that Quentin kind of left uh, toward the end there. He left on one of the uh, Krakoan kid <laughs> islands where he kind of just went off to be on his own. You know, he wasn't trying to hurt anybody, but he was trying to protect himself. And uh, this is the first time where he's kind of lowered that defense. At least as far as I can remember. I mean, there have been flashes of it before, but here, like, he's actually changing. He's actually making an effort to become a new person. And uh, it's, you know, it just goes to show that when you lower your defenses, you leave yourself wide open to being hurt. You know, I don't know that we've ever seen Quentin in any sort of emotional turmoil in this way. You know, it's always been kind of roll off his shoulder sort of a thing, or being brushed off, or being turned into a sarcastic quip. But here, I mean, we see him at his most vulnerable. He's laying there in bed crying in his sleep. It's a very touching scene. And I do wonder uh, what the fallout will be. Uh, what I am less interested in is uh, is this whole surfing thing. <laughs> I don't know where this came from. Why would Wolverine decide at the ripe old age of 6,000 that he wants to go surfing? I, I Has Wolverine ever surfed before? I don't recall him surfing. Like, not even in parody. It would still be stupid if we had him surfing. So this was, I don't know, a little weird. A little weird. If, like... We have this Chucklehead Forge working in the arsenal. Maybe if Forge, like, pushed Wolverine into surfing, it would make some sense, where he's like, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll surf, I'll try your new board out. But when we find out that Wolverine actually wanted the surfboard, it's just so dumb. And, and, I mean, the timing of it all, where he decides he wants to surf right as we have these surfing terrorists coming to Krakoa. I mean, come on. That's just, uh, that's just dumb. Uh, the board, in and of itself, the fact that it doesn't sink, I mean, maybe we can argue that it, it was coating Krakoan balsa wood, which I would imagine would float a little bit better than, you know, metal. Uh, maybe the the lining on this thing or the coating of adamantium was so thin that it was almost weightless. I, I don't know, because I'm thinking, like, we know Wolverine's bones themselves are not comprised of adamantium. They're just coated with adamantium. And yet, like, he immediately sinks to the bottom of the of the ocean here when he goes in water. To the point where, uh, what the hell was her name? Pike, like, comments on, wow, you're a heavy, you know, MF-er. <laughs> I couldn't get you out of the water. I, it's just so dumb. I think the whole thing could have been, um... All my concerns could have been assuaged if, when Wolverine was on the board, he yelled, Surf or die. Uh, if he would have yelled, Surf or die, I would have forgiven all of it. Um, now, one thing about the surfing that I do appreciate is the fact that in Sage's logbook, we see that they they saw this happening. And, you know, they made a note of it, she and Black Tom, you know, the veg, the, the protective barrier, the, I guess, alarm system of the island uh, being disturbed. They, they, they saw it as low risk. They really didn't see it as a big deal because, I mean, we can't forget that we're on this island where a lot of these folks don't have anything to do. So if they're going to occupy their time by surfing, that's, you know, that that's to be expected. And if they rattle up some of the veg and they maybe, you know, 
diminish the, the defenses and security of the island. We gotta assume, as Sage and or Black Tom, that it wasn't intentional. Of course, as we get through the issue, we find out that yes, this very much was intentional, and that it's highly likely that these uh, that Pike and her pals are not actually mutants here, but have you know finagled away onto the island due to their, I guess, surfing prowess. Uh, we don't know if they're based out of a rig somewhere off the shore or another island, or maybe they were dropped in by a helicopter. We just don't know. But I definitely appreciate the fact that they saw this as a low-risk sort of a situation that really didn't need immediate attention. And, uh, you know, this is a lesson learned for Sage and Black Tom, I suppose. But um, I thought this was good use of a uh, of an info page, which is a rarity in a Ben Percy comic, because usually they are... Uh, not great, but um, overall, I mean, what's there to say about this one? It didn't feel like a 25th issue milestone. Can't really hold that against it, especially with how tumultuous everything is in the ex-editorial office right now. We don't know what was originally intended for right now. We don't know how much the Hickman, you know, egress is, is affecting the rest of the stories here. But if we take the number 25 out of it here, this was, again, as I said at the start here, a tale of two stories. One was quite good, one was interesting, one is one that I'm looking forward to seeing play out, the other was dumb. But I'm pretty sure that's all I have to say about this issue. Uh, Let's hop into the mailbag, and uh, this is going to be a different sort of mailbag. This is going to be an astonishing mailbag, because uh, what we're talking about here is some feedback I received on a written piece I did, um, I want to say two or three weeks ago. Uh, if you're following this show or any of the shows on this channel, you'll know that uh, I don't really regard the Joss Whedon run on Astonishing X-Men all that uh, fondly. I don't really hold that up uh, like some folks do. And I thought to myself that, well, you know, maybe I owe it a retrial. You know, maybe I should, because uh, I haven't read it since it came out in, what, 04, 05. And I figured, uh, yeah, maybe I'm being unfair. You know, and I'd at least give the first issue, um, uh, you know, another shot. And maybe I'll get through the rest of them, or maybe I'll, you know, read a few more and uh, discuss them. But I saw this as an opportunity to do uh, to do a few different things here. First, just revisit something I haven't read in forever. Second, um, try to adjust a little bit better to my new, you know, uh, bifocal lenses here, because I was having the, a hell of a time trying to get uh, everything focused and also, it gave me the opportunity to actually do a full-fledged blog post on the new WordPress site, which, to that point, I hadn't done yet. I'd only done, you know, show note type uh, blog posts. So this would give me an opportunity to check off a lot of boxes here. So I read Astonishing. Long story short, uh, I still didn't care for it. I thought it was, um, I thought a lot of it was just riding on the Whedon name. And uh, it didn't feel revolutionary, it didn't feel different, it didn't feel... You know, of course, there were those love letter elements to the Claremont run, but even that felt kind of half-baked to me. So I did get some feedback on that post, so let's go through it now here. We're going to start with Jeremiah, who uh, starts by asking how it was writing and publishing a full blog piece on the new WordPress site. And uh, it was um, was pretty easy. It was a very user-friendly... And, um, you know, one of the things about Blogger, which was one of the reasons why I wanted to leave there so badly, was that uh, 
it was near impossible to line up media on the uh, blog post. Either, either it's just user unfriendly, or I'm an idiot, or maybe a combination of the of the two. But sometimes you want to do like side by side images. Sometimes you want to put an image to the to like to the right or align it to the left. You know, there are different things you want to do to give the blog a little bit of a variety, make it look a little bit different. And it used to be where I could do that. You know, it would be it would be a thing where I'd have to like actually muck with the code a little bit, which sucked because it took a lot of the flexibility away from the site. Where like if I had two or three two or three covers that I wanted to like put in a row, I would have to like remove the ability to like click to enlarge on them. So they would just be these tiny little images on the blog page and they would look even worse on mobile, right? But on WordPress, didn't have that problem. It was very, very easy to sort things and put things uh, where I wanted them. It was a breeze to upload everything like in a batch and just place things. It was a lot easier. So much more user-friendly. It's uh, almost enough to make me want to you know, start regularly blocking again. So uh, if I do ever find the time, we will uh, we'll give that a shot. Uh, Jeremiah continues, I'm mixed on Cassidy's art in this series. Some of it I really like. Just Some of it seems really flat, for lack of a better term. Maybe it's the inks or the printing. I just think it's off sometimes. I did like Beast's cat look, but Cyclops looks fat in those headshots. So it's a mixed bag for me. And yeah... Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I commented on in the blog post is that I'm not a huge fan of Cassidy's art. And that's not to say that I don't find him talented because he's, you know, wickedly talented. I mean, there's definitely a craft, right? He's definitely a solid artist. It's just not the kind of art that I want to look at. Uh, maybe he'd be better for covers, but uh, like like Jeremiah points out here, Cyclops's face looked very, very pouchy and fat and... Uh, you know, it's one of those things I remember people saying when uh, Frank Whiteley took over. It's like everybody looked pouchy, you know. But here, like, it, it almost looked like he was just, like, waking up from a bender. It just didn't look... It just wasn't great. <laughs> I just did not care for it. But again, I mean, there is definitely a craft there. He is definitely talented. And there were some panels that absolutely knocked me out. It was just the ones that didn't, really didn't. Next up, we got Walt, who says, uh, You've had me thinking about revisiting this run from mentioning it either in a recent episode of X-Lapsed or a recently listened-to-by-me to episode of X-Lapsed. I've also not read these issues in years, though I'm pretty sure I revisited this first arc at least once, maybe ten or so years back, with uh, one of those motion comic things. Possibly more recently, but let's go with maybe ten years or so back for now. Now, I bailed on the Morrison run a couple issues in, just didn't like it or care for it, didn't get it, I didn't like the art, and it hit during college for me when I was more or less, when I more or less took a couple years off from any serious following of comics. Though I did start Ultimate Spider-Man at issue 3, and I followed that until at least a couple years after college. I finally read the Morrison run in bulk via the early oversized hardcovers in late in 2003 or so, so I was ready for Whedon and Astonishing. I've got some interesting memories associated with it, perhaps stemming from it being in that weird transition-y stage between college and not college, and before deciding on grad school and all that. So it was a bit of a fit for where I was at life in life at the time, I think. Of course, I still remember being so effing annoyed that for a team book, the first issue's cover was only... Wolverine's Claws. Where was Kitty? Where were the Sentinels? Emma? Cyclops? Beast? 
Now, Wolverine had his own solo ongoing series. I, I think it was still in the Marvel Knights phase at the time of this. Uh, I liked seeing them back in the colorful costumes and such, though not a fan of Beast's then-new costume. While I doubt any of this will compare to the 90s nostalgia for me with the Jim Lee Cyclops, I think I'd put this one as one of my top favorites. But this is all beside the point of the story. I think this was the first time I'd really read or consciously retained the Cure story. At least it's a current thing. Uh, there was that episode of the cartoon with Rogue and a potential Cure that turned out to be apocalypse-related stuff. And yeah, that was like the big reveal at the end of this issue was like uh, Dr. Kavita Rao says, hey, you know, mutants is, you know, mutation is a disease and we now have a cure, which, I mean, how many times do we see that? <laughs> I feel like every few years we get the cure story and um, to have that be like the big, you know, this is the this is the new status quo, the Joss Whedon thing here, the, the dude slumming it in comics, this is his big thumbprint on the X-Universe, and it's another damn cure story. Now, Walt continues, Accepting the tardiness of the book, I think this run is one of those ones I definitely think of as a run. And uh, yes, the tardiness of the book was... Uh, that might be like my main sticking point, you know? Um, I feel like uh, maybe this is a, a Chris situation here where you have hype plus delay is not a uh, not a good recipe for uh, how I'm going to receive a book. You know, we have things like the Kevin Smith Daredevil, which had so much hype, but also so many delays to where when the book hit the delay period, I find myself not caring for those issues quite as much. Because I think uh, Daredevil went like five or six issues before like the huge delays started to hit. And uh, the Weed and Astonishing may have been similar to that, but... Uh, there were certainly some very, very, very big delays here. Walt continues, And as I again catch myself thinking about the stuff that isn't the story itself, but things around or about or meta to the stuff, I wonder if that says something about it even to me. You called it comfort food and a love letter to the previous stuff, and I think I have to agree with that big time. It definitely hit plenty of those buttons for me. Maybe I'll revisit this run myself a bit, or at least I'll look forward to your revisit and live vicariously through your posts. And as for that lateness, I think I wound up bailing for half the run because of that. Plenty of other thoughts looking back to 2004, 2006, Civil War, you know, the first one, and realizing that this issue is 18 years old now, give or take a few weeks. Wow, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of those things that really makes you feel... Um... <laughs> I don't want to say like I've wasted my life, but uh, boy, that's uh, 18 years ago is when this came out. And uh, well, the fact that I'm still not over it probably says a lot about me. But um, yeah, I, I you know I didn't wind up bailing. Um, I, I did keep up with it because, well, I've got, you know, the sickness. I can't not pick them up. But, um, you know, I think for maybe the second half of it, uh, maybe I was just hate reading it. Which, I mean, that's not something I'd recommend anybody do for anything, but uh, I remember just try. I wanted to like it. Because, you know, you want to like what you read, but, um, you know, you'd open it up and it's like, Break World, again. It's like, dude, that was six months ago with the last issue and it was Break World, again. Just didn't care for it. Just didn't care for it. Maybe if I ever get on with this, uh, this retrial, maybe I'll feel differently, or maybe I will uh, not. Next up, we have Jesse D, who wrote in and said, I get why you and others may not enjoy this run, but I really loved it. 
I'm also not a huge fan of Cassidy's art, and I can't get through half an episode of Buffy, but I loved Astonishing. It is a throwback to the Claremont age, like you stated, and it hit the right spot for me after the garbage that was happening in Uncanny, and I hated what Morrison did in New X-Men. I actually remember the motion comic of this more than actually reading it. I can't believe they did the whole run with that motion comic stuff. Have you seen these? And you know, it's funny, um... I remember I tried watching uh, one of the motion comics on my HTC Evo smartphone back in like 2010, 2011 or so. Uh, We were living in a rental home, and uh, for some reason I couldn't get Wi-Fi to work in this house. It just, no matter what I did, no matter who I brought in, Wi-Fi was just a crawl in this house. I don't know if it was... Maybe too many houses, like, in such proximity having Wi-Fi competing for bandwidth? I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, an IT fellow, but um, couldn't get the, uh, the Wi-Fi to work. So everything we had in the house was wired. So, I mean, me and the wife had our laptops, and uh, she had a desktop, and they were all wired, hardwired to a modem, and an actual wired router, which I remember we had a hell of a time trying to track down because nobody wanted the damn things, and with good reason. So I remember uh, we had the air conditioning go out in this house, so I was sleeping on the uh, bathroom floor. (laughs) We had set up uh, blankets on the bathroom floor because it was a little bit cooler there, and I mean, this is Arizona, and it was probably early summer, so it wasn't quite to the 120s yet, but uh, it was still hot, plenty hot. So I remember setting up uh, like camp on the bathroom floor in the master bedroom, and I tried watching the motion comic on my phone, and since I didn't have Wi-Fi, I could not get this thing to do anything. I got like five seconds in, and it took like 20 minutes to get that five seconds, and I was like, eh, nah, maybe one of these days I'll check it out, and I never have since. And you know, I'm glad, so glad that uh, Jesse and Walt wrote the letters that they did, because um, it serves as a good reminder that not everybody uh, appreciated or enjoyed the Morrison run. And this may just be a case of me being in my own you know, my own headspace echo chamber, but uh, I really, really enjoyed the Morrison run, and I think I saw the Whedon run as like an answer to it, you know, and maybe that's why, one of the reasons why I have uh, a little bit of a problem with it, and, you know, conversely, folks who didn't care for the Morrison run might have also seen the Whedon run as an answer to the Morrison run, and that might be one of the main reasons why they enjoyed it, but... um, This uh, prompts a question here. I'd love to hear from anybody who did not enjoy the Morrison run. Maybe tell me uh, some of the things you didn't care for in it. Certainly not looking for a debate or anything, but uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. It's going to be a very long time before we ever get to cover something like that if uh, The Essentials makes it to episode 6000 or so, but... uh, I think it could be a fun conversation we can have here off to the side. But um, I'd like to thank you all for writing in about that blog post and also just checking out that blog post. I'll try to remember to link to it in today's uh, show notes, just in case anybody's interested in checking out uh, my thoughts on that astonishing issue. But um, I think that'll do it for the mailbag today. Let's head into shout-out territory here. We got... uh, we got quite a bit of catching up to do here. Let's uh, let's hop over to Twitter first to thank the folks who helped to raise the profile and uh, signal boost this little program. 
I'd like to thank 21st Century Boys Andrew and Belfast, Between the Pages blog Chris Bailey, Dave Schultz, Jesse DeYoung, Ed Moore, Billy D, Jeremiah, Walt Neeland, My Generation X, Bill at Spy Vinyl, Mark Jagger, The Longbox Crusade, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Pepe Delgado, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Joe Crawford, Miguel Calderon Jr., Sean Ross, The All-Star Squadron, Chris A. Field, Al Sedano, Jeremy Daw, X-Men 90s covers, Hicks, Milan Bosnick, Masanori Nino Mia, Nino Maya, uh, Todd Swink, J. Paul Morris, True Poed, um, My Comic Book Collection and Sons, Jacob Jones, Matt Rose, Scott Kinney, Thomas Williams, Pat Sampson, Radioactive Dinosaur, Chris Lydon, uh, W2M Net, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, Jody Yurden, and Kirk Spencer. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jody Yarden, Evan Bevins, Pat Sampson, Andrew Franklin, Chris Bailey, Billy D, Jeremiah, Walt Neeland, Jesse DeYoung, Joe Crawford, Damian, Corbin Owens, Jesse Starcher, Aaron Moss, Jeff Bozeman, Nathan Arnold, Chris Armstrong, and Mark Jagger. Now you see, when I let them all pile up, it actually seems like this show gets a fair amount of engagement. Um, Instagram, we will do uh, next episode. There's a lot of folks I got to get uh, compiled in there. But uh, I do want to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed. Uh, Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. I'm very sorry I've left this bit out of the last several episodes, but uh, I assure you, your support still means the absolute world to me. So thank you all so, so much. But uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for today. Uh, I haven't done contact information in a while, so let's do that. Um, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for any reason at all, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or leave a voicemail message at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You could also join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. For the complete audio archives, you can search up Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill anywhere or just go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com and you'll find that on any and all noise aggregation applications on the internet. Of course, the Patreon is patreon.com slash xlaps. You get some behind-the-scenes stuff, exclusive content, and a great group of supportive and wonderful folks. Let's wrap up with one of them call to actions. I I think that's why I'm not a success yet. I'm not good at uh, asking for help. So if anybody out there would like to spread the word about this show, I would love for you to do so. It would really, really mean the world to me. Get a few more ears and maybe even a few more hearts and minds invested in this this little program. But uh, I think the sound of that jet flying over my house is my sign to call it an episode. So uh, I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always... I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Searching